0: You know, I tuck in, I rotate too quickly, I hit my forehead, and then I'm, I'm in sand, and I feel everything in my body tingle for about a quarter of a second, and I start to move my fingers and my toes. And because I can do that, you know, my neck hurts, it feels like there's a you know, piano pressing me into the ground on my neck, but because I can move, I don't think that anything is seriously wrong, because I didn't know you could break your neck and not paralyze yourself.
1: Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today I'm talking to Spencer Mistel, a journalist who has written for publications like the New York Times, BuzzFeed, and of course, barbend.com. Spencer has an insanely interesting athletic background, from competitive diving to parkour, a journey that includes ups like competing on American Ninja Warrior, and downs that include breaking his neck in Egypt. Spencer has also established himself as one of the CrossFit community's most impactful writers, on a number of important issues, I should say, in and around fitness. In addition, he co authored Matt Fraser's upcoming book, which will release in January 2022. But before we get into that conversation, I want to give a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Athletic Greens. I first tried Athletic Greens back in 2012. It was already a massively popular daily supplement, and since then they've undergone dozens of formulation tweaks, each an improvement on the last. It's the rare all-in-one green supplement that's NSF certified, a must for competitive athletes, and also tastes delicious. I'm probably a bit biased because I love the subtle notes of pineapple and vanilla interested in trying it visit athleticgreenscom forward slash barbend to get a free gift with your purchase now on to the show Spencer thanks for joining me full disclosure to everyone listening Spencer and I are pretty darn good friends we I, I say we go probably way back at this point but we live in the same borough of New York. So uh, if I'm a little bit biased and thinking Spencer's a knowledgeable, fun person, well, you have my bias now. But Spencer, give folks a little background as far as your involvement in the fitness community, because I think it's important context when we start talking about your journalism career and what you're writing about today.
0: Yeah, I mean, first I'd like to say, I don't know if I've ever listened to an episode where you did not give a full disclosure. I know that you just truly love it.
1: I love, I love disclosures. Disclosures and disclaimers, I just can't get enough of it. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, hopefully we can sneak another one in. Um, so, yeah, a little bit about my own fitness background. So, I, growing up, you know, my parents really wanted me to do team sports. My older brother played basketball, baseball, uh, and, you know, was very athletic. But I was athletic in a different way. I just did not have any interest in doing those kinds of sports. Uh, and so... You know, my mom, they strongly encouraged me to do baseball in fifth grade. I do it for about six weeks. I slide into second base. I break my ankle. And I'm so relieved because I just never have to play it again. And so, you know, when they wanted me to pivot to, uh, what I wanted to pivot to gymnastics, you know, they were super encouraging. You know, my dad would drop me off. He would go to martial arts. I would do my gymnastics class. He would pick me up. He would always have a Gatorade waiting. And you know, I cannot be more grateful to my parents for just letting me do kind of fitness stuff that interests me. So I did gymnastics until the end of middle school. Then I dove uh, in high school. I played tennis. I did pole vault. And then I ended up diving in college. Uh, after college, uh, I studied abroad in Egypt. And I kind of got connected with this parkour group You know, with that pretty strong acrobatics background. I was able to, to pick that up quickly, which was great, right? It was such an easy way to, to hang out with uh, Egyptians and kind of enter this part of society that I never would have gotten access to otherwise. Ended up breaking my neck, doing parkour. I over-rotated uh, a front flip. Uh, we were at this park outside of Cairo. It was like maybe seven feet high on this ledge. And I just jumped off, overrotated, hit my forehead. Long story short, you know, I ended up moving back to the U.S. in a neck brace uh, they weren't sure if the bone was going to fuse naturally or if we were going to have to do surgery. I got very lucky. You know, I ended up seeing maybe seven doctors. All of them told me that I was very, very close to severing my spinal cord. Um, but they cleared me to do sports. I got really into lifting. You know, I just wasn't able to move really at all. And so it was great to, to move my body again. Uh, I did that. I ended up uh, lifting a lot more when I went to grad school in Iowa. Uh, I auditioned for American Ninja Warrior. I competed on season seven of that, and then when I moved to New York, I picked up CrossFit. And that was about five years ago. So, sorry for that very long answer, but uh, you know, I I feel very fortunate, especially as a journalist, that I've seen a lot of different aspects of fitness.
1: I mean, I I love that background. I actually didn't know this about uh, the neck injury—you breaking your neck. In Egypt, you're you're in a foreign country. Um, not to say that like you could you you can speak the language a bit. You can you can get, get around, but like any injury can be traumatic, especially being so far away from home at a base of support. Um, tell us about that recovery process, if you don't mind. Like how long before between the injury and you actually being cleared to kind of get back to activity?
0: Yeah, it was really tough because so I. Take off from this ledge. I do a front flip, and again, what I'm most embarrassed about is that I should have piked this front flip. Right, I should have kept my legs straight. That would have given me a lot more control. But I—that is
1: that is the most (laughs) that is the most former gymnast thing I've ever heard. You're like really, really. It was on me. It was a technical. It was a technical error. Yeah, Dave Durante, also
0: a friend of the podcast, hears this. I I know he'll be ashamed of me because I'm ashamed of myself. So. You know, I tuck in, I rotate to too quickly, I hit my forehead, and then I'm, I'm in sand, and I feel everything in my body tingle for about a quarter of a second, and I start to move my fingers and my toes, and because I can do that, you know, my neck hurts, it feels like there's a you know, piano pressing me into the ground on my neck, but because I can move, I don't think that anything is seriously wrong, because I didn't know you could break your neck and not paralyze yourself, and so the thing... God, I did not keep training because, you know, all of these Egyptian bros are like, you know, you're fine, you're fine, shake it off, keep going. But I, I take a cap home, you know, I end up seeing a pretty bad Egyptian doctor the next day who says, you know, it's just like some muscular tension. I don't even think he took x-rays. He's like, you are you know, you're fine, you just need to massage it, which is probably you know, the worst advice he could have given me. And so in Egypt, I actually saw probably the best doctor I've ever seen once I, I was at the American. University of Cairo, studying Arabic at the time, and once I got them involved, the next day I was seeing like the head of spinal whatever at the best Egyptian hospital, uh, and so I think it was about seventy-five days that I was in the neck brace, and it was only on that last day when I was back in New York when they told me that it had fused, and you know the doctor said I suggest you take up a, a less risky sport like golf, but uh, you're good, like he just released me into the wild, and that was the end of it.
1: So wait, talk about this neck brace, because the image I have in my mind, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Bleed for This. It's about a boxer who breaks his neck in a car wreck.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And they, they like literally screw him, the halo, into his head, so he's completely immobilized. Were there like screws going into your skull to keep you
0: immobilized? Yeah, that's such a good question. I don't know why I didn't get that one. I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't. I, so I got a, a plastic one that you could take on and off, kind of like an air brace for your ankle. And so that was... Horrible because it's the middle of the summer in Egypt, right? And so it's just, just sweating out your neck all day and the smell of it, as you can imagine, is awful. Uh, but then I would also, bad patient, occasionally take it off, right? So I would just sit very, very still. And then for maybe six months afterward, right, I would just never turn my neck. I would just turn my whole body. Uh, but it was fine. I still, you know, I've moved maybe 11 times since then and I still keep those x-rays of the broken back. And I don't know why I never look at them. I just keep them in a box. And then every time I move, I'm like, well, I guess I should take these to remind myself of my own frailty. You know,
1: I, I moved with some of my college textbooks for like seven years after I graduated. So there are worse and heavier things to move with. It's, it's okay, but okay. So thanks for sharing that. That's actually something I didn't know about you. And that's a, a, I don't want to trivialize it, but a fascinating story, and I think that uh, one of the more intense injury stories I think we've talked about on the podcast, but um, let's talk about finding CrossFit because the reason you're on this podcast, the reason I know you is that you are a journalist. You've written for such esteemed outlets as the New York Times, BuzzFeed, Barbend, just to name a few, that are all in that echelon together, right? Um, also, here's another another disclaimer: Spencer has written for Barbend before, but how did you first discover CrossFit, and how long was it between discovering that and getting active in the community, and actually starting to write on the space?
0: Yeah, so I was still at the University of Iowa; I was still at grad school, and a, a friend of mine in the program just had these workouts that he wanted to do. And right? I feel like this is such a common way people get into CrossFit. And what I remember so vividly, because at the time, you know, very traditional five by five, back by, chest, trying legs. That's what I was doing as deadlifting, horrible form, as I would find out when I got into CrossFit. And so, you know, there was this nice indoor track. I mean, the whole facility, there was the nicest gym I've ever been to. But there was this indoor track and he's like, we're going to run 60-meter sprints, and we're going to walk back, and we're going to do that 10 times. And I had run track in high school, so that seemed like a pretty easy workout. And I just remember the next day, the soreness in my abs, right? Like, obviously, I was winded from that in the moment, but just waking up and realizing that, like, your body could be wrecked from such a simple uh, workout to such an intense degree. I was into it, and then, you know, when I got to, to Brooklyn, practically across the street, there was a CrossFit gym. Uh, CrossFit Virtuosity, the owner, Sam, was just super welcoming. You know, I had a lot of the pieces for CrossFit, not a lot of the, the barbell work and certainly you know, the Olympic movements, but I had a good foundation and, you know, it's a phenomenal gym. I've been there ever since. And so it was uh, not an easy transition, but uh, a doable one.
1: We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick shout out to our episode sponsor, Athletic Greens athletic greens is the daily all-in-one supplement with vitamins minerals probiotics adaptogens and more to help your body perform at the highest level it mixes easily tastes delicious and is a personal favorite way for me to start the day and yes i actually am a repeat customer visit athleticgreens.com forward slash barbend today to check it out now let's get back to the show you're like a CrossFit coach's CrossFit dream. You don't have the barbell background, but you come in with the gymnastics background. Like handstands, no problem. Muscle-ups, I'm sure early on for you, absolutely zero problem. That's like, that. that is a CrossFit coach's dream because then they just get to teach you barbell stuff, which is the really fun part for a lot of coaches, I think.
0: Yes, well, clearly you've never taught me barbell movements because uh, it's not that fun. But I will say, you know, it was just funny for me because growing up, even in Seattle, which is a, a pretty progressive place, being a gymnast and doing diving were not cool, right? And like certainly in college, uh, being an athlete in that way did not get any respect and by, it was just considered too feminine. And so uh, I was, I wouldn't say I was self-conscious, but I was certainly aware of that fact and then to get to CrossFit and have all these movements come back and like kind of reframe in this much more aggressive, masculine way was interesting, right? Like to have these bros, because the first thing I got into a gym, I could do a muscle up, you know, I could handstand walk and just to have these like beadhead bros really excited by that uh, was just so different than the context of when I had done it, you know, a decade earlier.
1: It's so interesting how us, I think a side effect of CrossFit becoming so much more mainstream and getting people exposed to many different types of athletic, many different athletic modalities. Uh, You know, you mentioned that I wouldn't think today that like gymnastics, diving, parkour, which by the way, is like still an internet sensation. In my mind, those sound like really cool sports, but I'm, completely biased, right? Because I've like been in the CrossFit community, right? I, I'm like, oh my God, you must have been super, super cool in high school. You're a guy who can do flips and handstands and all that cool stuff. But it's a very different experience now than your lived experience. So I appreciate you sharing that. When was the moment, I think, in your cro- early days of, of CrossFit where you were like, oh, okay, I'm hooked. There's that moment, I think a lot of people have it where they're like, you know what, I'm sticking around this for a while.
0: You know, everyone says their first workout, which just wrecks them, and it's cliche, but I think that was the case for me, right? It was twenty one fifteen nine 9 of air squats and burpees, and that CrossFit magic, right, where you look at it, and it just does not seem that difficult, and halfway through, you're just getting dizzy, right? You don't know what happened, and so I think it was that, and I think that just having coaching, you know, I it was so nice to be coached in college and then to not have that relationship with anyone and to get it back. And to have them invested in my lifting, right, and to actually like look at my deadlift and, and break it down, and uh, you know allow me to lift the way where my lower back wasn't just screaming from the first set. I was like, oh, you know, I, it, it's good to be back here.
1: All right, favorite barbell movement, least favorite barbell movement, as someone who found the barbell after a gymnastics background.
0: Uh, it depends on the day. Depends on what I have to do, right? Obviously, least favorite is snatching, and most favorite. I guess I would say it be Cleans. I just, you know, it always depends on how well I'm doing that day. All right. Well, the the best is when
1: you have someone answer least favorite snatch, favorite snatch. It's the same thing. Like it's such a love hate. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your, your actual, your, your day job. You are an esteemed, respected and accomplished journalist and writer. Also uh, author as well, which we can chat on a little bit in a second. When did and something that a lot of folks might not know about this is that you uh, you cover voting rights and voting policy pretty prolifically as a writer, but you also cover CrossFit and issues within the fitness industry. What was the first topic you wrote about in fitness journalism?
0: So the very first thing I published was actually uh, about competing on American Ninja Warrior. It was for Rolling Stone uh, I pitched it maybe 12 other places before I got to Rolling Stone, and I remember that I didn't change the, the name and the address of the editor. And so I, I addressed the Rolling Stone editor by the wrong name. Somehow, you know, it took a chance on me, you published that story, uh, which was great. That's a clip five years later that I still use with everyone, right? And it's a go to icebreaker talking about American Ninja Warrior. Uh, it was uh, an exceptional experience. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, so yeah, that was the first thing that I wrote, but then I got pretty quickly into to CrossFit. Um, and actually an interview with Matt Fraser is one of the first things that I published with Men's Health and like one of my earliest clips.
1: Gotcha. Now, what are some of the more memorable topics in fitness and in CrossFit you've, you've covered? doesn't necessarily have to be, because not everything you've covered is, is positive. It's not, it's not all just like, hey, high fives, this is great. You've covered some pretty heavy stuff as well
0: yeah I would say the lighter you know I just love the gimmicky fitness classes especially in New York because there are such absurd things you can do and so Vice let me do this uh, nude fitness hit class in Manhattan that was $50 and just like bad no coaching Uh, but you know like the thing about it is that no one was wearing clothes Uh, and so you know, not the routine that I would want to do, but like I always think it's great to see what the trends are. You know, I did for Vice, also I took like a voguing class with a woman that was a consultant on Pose, uh, the FX show about the about ball culture. And so you know, that'd be the lighter stuff. And the heavier stuff would be like the article I wrote for BuzzFeed about kind of that anti-mask, anti-vax strain within CrossFit, right? And just like kind of the companies reluctance or inability to, to punish people breaking CDC guidelines. And then you have know, the large section of prospectors who also just didn't believe the, the pandemic was real or serious. Uh, and or if they did, they just didn't want to follow the rules.
1: Are there any topics that you've pitched to editors that you haven't gotten to write on, but you were like especially disappointed that no one said yes to? Because the life of a, of a journalist is, is getting a lot of rejections. I think a lot of people not in the industry don't realize that.
0: Yeah, well, we would need a separate podcast for all the stories that I haven't been able to write. But certainly, what comes to mind, like the, and this might have gone too niche, I can understand that. Uh, To me, what is so interesting about parkour and about its rise in popularity is that that was enabled by essentially insurance brokers, right? So, parkour used to be this activity, uh, you know, it started in France, very informal, very kind of underground. Uh, and that's how it spread. But at some point, it needed to get legitimized if it wanted to keep growing, right? And it needed to go indoors, like into gyms, and to have uh, like coaches and training programs. And insurance was a big part of that, right? Because the gym can't host it, and the insurance company isn't going to underwrite it. And so that was always something that interested me, right? Like how something becomes mainstreamed and how it is like these really kind of prosaic, mundane details that ultimately allow it to do that.
1: So, I mean, give us a little snippet into that. Was there like one insurance company or one insurance underwriter that was like, okay, we'll actually, we'll get behind this and we'll figure out a way to insure parkour gyms? Because that's a heck of a thing to take a chance on.
0: It is. And I wish I could remember the details a little better. This was years ago and then I gave up. Uh, but I talked to to one guy and he used trampoline parks as his reference. And so you, know, I think he had all this experience of going to trampoline parks uh, and looking at why it was that they were so dangerous, why were people getting injured? And they would do this uh, like disco night, where they would turn off all the lights and then just let people jump on these trampolines and obviously injure themselves en masse. Uh, and so, you know, he he worked with them. I really like this guy because he was like, "I'm not. My job isn't to come in and tell people what to do. It's to work with them to mitigate their risk, and so you know we can cover them and they can continue to operate." And so they figured out like a a safe uh, level of brightness for the facility. And so that was his experience. I think that they also did like roller coaster parks and zip lines. And so he was like, okay, you know, I can, I can try and make this work for parkour. And I think he ended up, his company ended up uh, ensuring like 90% of the gyms in the U.S.
1: You couldn't pay me money to go to a lights off disco night at a trampoline park. I think that just shows like the spectrum of what some humans will like. Cause that sounds like my own little version <laughs> of hell personally.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I broke my ankle on the trampoline, broke my ankle four times growing up, once on trampoline, baseball, basketball, and just running through the woods. So like, I'm good. I've seen it. Even when I didn't have fear as a little kid, you know, I'm just wrecking myself. So I haven't been on a trampoline since, to
1: be honest. See, I'm not a very adventurous person, and I still find ways to get injured. That's, that's, that's the, great, the great factoid about me. Well, one other thing I want to talk about in your writing career is that you are, you are a published author. And when I say author, I mean, yes, you've written a ton of magazine profiles, articles. On, you've written online. Um, you are also the author of, of, of books at this point. Plural, I believe. Is that correct?
0: Uh, I am the author of one and a quarter book at the moment. Yeah.
1: One and a quarter book. Well, I don't know. I don't want to share too much, but I mean, the cat is out of the bag that with Matt Fraser, you authored a book. Can you tell us a little bit, like what can you tell us about that? Cause I understand some of that is confidential. The book is not yet available for public consumption, so I don't want to get you in trouble, but tell us a little bit about that and kind of how that might have, how that might have happened, how you were able to link up with, you know, the five-time fittest man on earth.
0: Yeah. So I reached out to Matt, as I said earlier in 2016, I think that he had just won regionals. CrossFit was still doing regionals. I guess they've gone back to that now. Uh, And I was in New York, you know, and I went and I saw him and I met him in person. Uh, You know, it's funny to see how Matt's persona has changed since then because, you know, he was, successful at that point but he obviously wasn't where he is now he was the five-time CrossFit champion uh and so he was you know very serious but very gracious and Matt is very easy to work with because he is quite intelligent he's very self-aware and so you know we had a great interview uh Men's Health published it and then periodically I would check in with him usually around the start or in the end of the CrossFit season and we did that for five years and so when. Maybe a year before, maybe four years after that, I started talking to them about a book and eventually it, it came together. And so he and I, you know, there was a lot of material that I already had uh, between, you know, my own interviews, Barbed, of course, other podcasts that he had done. Uh, but then we spent, you know, four pretty intense days together and, Then, you know, we collaborated for probably a year after that. And now we have this book. So, uh, you know, in some ways it was an easy process, but in other ways it was a very long one.
1: I imagine those four intense days, since you're both CrossFitters, you treating it like training, like a training camp. Like you go in, you're like, okay, we have to cover this chapter for time. We have like 60 minutes, (laughs) go
0: yeah I'm like you're gonna give me a factoid about yourself every minute on the minute for 14 hours
1: and then we're gonna do an, uh, am, an am rep of factoids and anecdotes. Yeah.
0: yeah i mean so the irony was that matt takes his off season so seriously so he refuses to do any kind of exercise for at least a month after the games and so i saw him in november and so he was firmly in his fat mat no exercise mode uh And so he's not working out, but like I'm at his house for sure. I'm going to do my own workout, and that was maybe the most surreal part is being in this garage home gym that I've seen on social media so often. You know, doing my kind of like bullshit front squats at a quarter of the weight that he does. Uh, But you know, it was great. It was a it was a great experience, and I wish that he and I had gotten a chance to work out together because you know, as I've said before. I think it's still hard for me to understand just how committed he was to the sport uh, because it's really just the, the volume, right? Like it is just waking up every day and doing the same thing. And there was just so little variety in his life for so long. And I think, you know, especially as a freelancer and one who really appreciates novelty, like I just know that it's not possible and when I competed on American Ninja Warrior I did like three weeks of that kind of lifestyle on a much smaller scale and it was awful right you just don't realize how much kind of like socializing and eating and you know not being part of routine like contribute to your to your mental health and to your happiness Uh, and so once you lose those things I, I at least go to a pretty dark place pretty quickly and he was able to live there you know really without Exception, except for maybe a month off each year for a long time, you know, for six, seven years.
1: I can just imagine him you at Matt Fraser's home gym, you know, front squatting, lifting, doing your workouts, and he's just standing there, like leaning against the doorway, sipping coffee, and <laughs> you and you just have like the the most accomplished fitness athlete of all time looking at you while you're just like while you're just struggling away that that would for me, that would be a little bit uh that'd be a tough environment to work out in. so kudos for you to for uh, to you for sticking with it during that.
0: yeah, you yeah, know that is a recurring nightmare I have also his wife Sammy, because she's a pretty good Olympic lifter too, so just them standing side by side watching me try and snatch. I'll avoid that at any cost
1: <laughs> that was that was your like, are you worthy like you you have to go through this this trial. Uh, who? Well, when when is the book when is the book available? We've actually previewed it a little bit on on barbed, but when is the book going to be available for people to purchase to read? And and what do you hope they get out of it?
0: Yeah, so January fourth, you can get it uh, through Penguin Random House or through Amazon.
1: January fourth, twenty twenty two, correct? Twenty twenty two,
0: yeah. It takes a long time to write and publish a book. Little did I know. Uh, so, what do I hope people get out of it? You know, I'd say what I'm most proud of the book is that. CrossFit prides itself on being infinitely scalable, right? So accessible to anyone. And I think that the book really is in line with that. You know, the chapters go through progressions and Matt especially is so emphatic that people need a strong foundation. And so I know, especially for myself, you know, there's such eagerness to you know, skip to the end of the book, see what the hardest work is, see what his time was and how you can but I hope that the more accomplished athletes really do go through the progressions and realize that that is how you get better, right? It is through your Zone 2 training. It is through your activations and your warm-ups. Uh, and so we hammered that message home a lot. So I think that is good for the people who are coming into it with a lot of experience. And then I hope that people aren't intimidated by it. Obviously Matt is an intimidating figure just by virtue of his success. Uh, but I think that anyone with any experience can come to this uh, and, you know, maybe you need to live at that beginning part of each chapter a little bit longer, you know, do the ring rows and, uh, and, you know, the other kind of uh, the easier scaling options, but you can certainly do it. And, you know, I remember talking to Ben Bergeron, another pretty prominent coach in the space and someone who coached Matt uh, about, you know, people who wanted to do CrossFit, but our way to start, how can they prepare? And he's like, just do it. He's like, you just get into the gym and you start it. And like, it's going to be difficult, but if you're at the right gym, people will be there to support you and you should never feel embarrassed or self-conscious about not being as strong or as fit as someone else. And so again, I, I think and I hope that the book does a good job of uh, being in line with those values.
1: Well, Spencer, we've kind of come to the end of our time here, although I think you and I are very much due for an in-person catch-up soon here in Brooklyn. But where's the best place for people to follow along with what you're writing, the work you're doing, and more projects as they come onto the horizon for you?
0: Yeah, so uh, it's Spencer Mustel, Spencer with an S, Mustel. Uh, That's my Instagram, my website, my Twitter. I would say... Check me out probably on Twitter if you want to talk about voting. Check me out on Instagram if you want to talk about CrossFit, but I will talk about CrossFit at any time in any situation. Uh, and, yeah, you know, yeah, shoot me an email. You know, if you're in Brooklyn, if you want to do some weird fitness stuff or, um, or, yeah, if you're planning on going to the games, David, you and I may be going to the games together. I'm quite excited by that prospect.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and uh, yeah, very much looking forward to that book, January 2nd, 4th, January 4th, 2022. Appreciate it, Spencer.
0: Right, thank you.